Hello and welcome to the In Awe and Wonder podcast. I'm your host, Kristen Hamilton. This is the third week of the month, so we're going to be talking about three martyr stories. And like I mentioned before, I know that can sound kind of morbid or not something that a lot of people would like to talk about very often at least, but it can really build your faith and show examples of how the Holy Spirit is working through these people and their lives and their testimonies. And through their lives and deaths, we see like a ripple effect. And that is probably part of what they would hope would happen through their life and death is that it would impact people to continue living in faith and to carry on with the gospel and the church and their faith in Jesus Christ. So we get to see that through these stories. And just a little plug here for a fellow podcast that is also part of the Christian podcast community is Revived Thoughts. They are also featuring different martyrs and missionaries and their stories on their podcast. So if you want to hear some more, I encourage you to go check them out. It's Revived Thoughts and you can get them wherever you get your podcasts or go to the Christian podcast community and search for them there. Okay, before we get into that, I just wanted to take a personal side note here, and um, I hope everyone had a wonderful Easter celebration on Sunday. That was, um, I know it won't be when you hear this, but that was just this past weekend, and we traveled to be with my family and my husband's family who are out of town, and we had a great time spent with them. And the other side note I wanted to say is that we recently, in the past month, got a dog. Now normally we were cat people. We have two cats and pretty much have had cats my whole married life, but we took the dive and got a dog. So I had to cut out some parts of my last episode where she was making noise. And so that's a new thing. In case you hear any dog noises in the background, I apologize. Um, She's sleeping right now, so let's hope that continues through the recording. But if she makes any barking or noises like that, I will try to cut those out. She is a two-year-old greyhound plot hound mix. So she still has a lot of puppy in her, but yet she is maturing into an adult and she does no commands. And the main thing in our house right now is that she has to get used to living with cats. I don't think she had seen cats before. Definitely, I can tell, had not lived with cats before. And so with her being a hound mix of a greyhound and plot hound, those are both dogs that can be used for hunting. And one's a sight hound and one's a scent hound. And so she, I think, would make an excellent hunting dog. So she uh, was very interested in the cats and everything but she's learning to leave it we just tell her to leave it and to get a toy she'll put a toy in her mouth and walk by the cats and she's fine so whole new experience here and still adjusting and getting the flow of our house down getting some new routines one reason that I wanted to get a dog was so I would be forced to go outside and take a couple of walks a day so that has been a very good thing (laughs) and found you know that even At times when I didn't really feel like going outside and taking a walk, once I did it, I felt so much better. So it's been a really good thing. 
So now we will switch gears again back to our main topic for this episode. That is about the Christian martyrs, their lives and death. On the third week of each month, when we talk about martyr stories, I'm going to try to do about three stories each time. And I'm going to do one from way back in history, like Bible times, like just within the first centuries after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. So many of these here at the beginning are going to be the stories that we see in the Bible or the apostles themselves, what happened to them and how their lives ended. So we'll do one person from back in that time period. Then I picked a person from uh, around the 15, 1600s, somewhere in there, when the time of the Reformation was happening. And then I picked someone from more modern times. The book that I have that I'm getting some of these stories from is a collaboration. It's mainly put out by the Voice of the Martyrs. If you've heard of that ministry before, they do put out a monthly free magazine. They have a website and they have a whole ministry dedicated to remembrance of the martyrs. And then they also have current situations that are happening all over the world. They have a place where they keep track somehow of people who are in prison for their Christian faith right at the current time. So you can go on and support them. You can pray for them. They have different ways to get involved. I've known about the Voice of the Martyrs for many years. I got this book. It was published in 1999, a collaboration between Voice of the Martyrs and DC Talk, which was a Christian rap group. And uh, I was a huge fan of theirs. I think I have every album that they put out pretty much. So when they came out with this book, I had to get it and I read quite a bit of it, but I, I never finished it. The book is sort of old, but the more modern people are probably from like the 70s, 80s, and 90s. Since the book was published in 99, there's nothing newer in the 2000s, but that's okay. I'm sure things from the 70s, 80s, and 90s are similar to what's been happening in the 2000s as well. So I wrote an introduction here to read this week for the intro of this. So you might be wondering why anyone would want to read stories that are sometimes disturbing and end in death. It could be viewed as a morbid thing to do. However, it is good to remember those who stood up and didn't deny Jesus. And it can bolster our faith to read about what they faced. We don't hear a lot about Americans being martyred, especially in America nowadays, but it does still happen. It happened in the Columbine High School shooting in Colorado in 1999. There are estimates that about 100,000 people worldwide are martyred a year. One estimate is around 1.9 million since 2001. According to Voice of the Martyrs, what they are aware of, There are currently 26 people in prison around the world right now because of being a Christian. When I was a teenager, I got a book called Jesus Freaks, which was compiled by the ministry Voice of the Martyrs and had sections contributed by the members of DC Talk, a Christian rap group. DC Talk had a song called Jesus Freaks, so they were marketing the book along with that song coming out. I read through most of it, and it did disturb me a bit, especially thinking of the violence done to a fellow Christian. It literally gave me, and still gives me, a pit in my stomach, 
and a feeling of great offense. It also made me stop and think about what if I were in those situations? Would I have stood up for my faith in Jesus and faced death if needed? Or would I be weak and deny Jesus to the people just so I could live? These are questions I really struggled with and made me wonder if I was truly saved. I thought I would probably go to heaven if I died, but as a teen, I wasn't 100% sure. I was terrified of hell and didn't want to think about after death. However, there was a faith-building element to reading through the book. The key is understanding that these martyrs were not just people who are very passionate about a cause or are wanting any fame or respect from other Christians. It also wasn't some rite of passage or trying to display that they might have a stronger or deeper faith than any other Christian. They weren't simply like the kamikazes of Japan or the suicide bomber of jihadists. While the kamikazes and suicide bombers had to be courageous for their causes and might have had some measure of faith in something they believed in and would happen to them at death, their missions were destructive, their actions were in vain, and they didn't possess the truth. For the Christian martyr, they stand on the objective truth of Jesus Christ and the gospel. Not only do they have the Holy Spirit with them to strengthen and comfort them, but they have peace, joy, and hope. They have Jesus, and Jesus has them. They know that Jesus already died for them to atone for their sins, having mercy on them, to adopt them into his family as a child of God, to impute righteousness to them in the greatest act of loving grace. Jesus rose from the dead three days later, defeating death, and sent the Holy Spirit to live in his sons and daughters, to minister to us and comfort us, and point us to the promise of eternal life in heaven with him. These martyrs have faith in that gospel message and hope for the sinless, perfect, eternal life that awaits them with their Savior, Jesus. They also have hope that other converts will come from the people observing what happened to them, which many did as a testimony that this God, this Jesus, is the one true God and is worth losing one's life for, to not deny him. This is deeper than worshiping an idol or made-up God or religion which might only give some temporary pleasure in life on earth. This is the hope that we have, not a wishing type hope, but hope that has been backed up with action. That is, that to live is Christ, but to die is gain. These martyrs also died so that the gospel message and the kingdom of God might continue on. May their stories encourage you and point you to the hope, the one true God. Revelation 6, 9-11 says this about the martyrs. When the Lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who live on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and they were told that they were to rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers and sisters who were to be killed even as they had been was completed also. In Luke six twenty-two to 23 Jesus says, Blessed are you when the people hate you and when they exclude you and insult you and scorn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice on that day and jump for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. For their fathers used to treat the prophets the same way. 
Matthew 10, 32 to 33, Jesus says this, Therefore, everyone who confesses me before people, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before people, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Peter says in 1 Peter three fourteen to 16 And who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be in dread. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. But with gentleness and respect, and keep a good conscience, so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who disparage your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. And finally, Nehemiah 8.10 says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. So we will see those elements displayed in their stories. So today we're going to look at the stories of Stephen, whose story is in the Bible, in the book of Acts. And then we're going to look at a story of a woman that they call Runken. It's W-R-U-N-K-E-N. And then... We will look at a story of a man named Gull Massey. And I had to look up how to pronounce that last name. And I was told on YouTube the pronunciation is Massey. It's M-A-S-I-H. And this is a Pakistani man. We will start then with the story of Stephen. Okay, so the story of Stephen is found in Acts chapters 6 and 7. I'm going to go ahead and read those, but before I do, just to set the stage of what is going on, Jesus was crucified and rose again at about the age of 33. So you can put that event at about AD 33. And so Stephen is martyred around AD 36. So about three years after Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. So the early church is starting and growing. They are having their foundation laid. And there are Hellenist Jews at this time, which, which simply means that they were Greek-speaking Jews. There was a dispersion of Jews along the way, and some of them were more Greek and in the Greek culture and speaking. My study Bible seems to indicate that there were synagogues that would hold services in Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So three languages were being used at that time. Stephen basically is chosen as someone to help the early church as a deacon. I don't think they use the word deacon in these uh, chapters, but that's basically what he was chosen to be, where a deacon in the church, even to this day, is somebody who basically, um, they're not an elder, but they are an important piece of the life of the church, where they come alongside different people or families or, you know, to help in certain situations. They could help with food and other necessities for the members of the church. And so basically, 
that's what Stephen was chosen to do. There were some widows, it says, who were being neglected in the daily distribution of food that they had going on. And so the apostles realized this need for help. Like they wanted to just be focused on their job of spreading the gospel and discipling people. So they need help on the hands-on, like meeting the basic needs of people that they were also doing. So that's where they chose these deacons to come alongside and help out with that type of thing. Okay, so I'll read the first verse and then I'll read the note in my Reformation Study Bible just to lay the foundation. So Acts 6.1 says, Now in, the, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So my note says, The Old Testament required care of the poor and needy. This concern is seen in the social actions set forth here. Possibly the widows among the Hellenists, that is the Greek-speaking Jews, were being overlooked in the food distribution due to cultural discrimination, having resettled in Judea from the dispersion, where they were considered outsiders by native-born Hebrew or Aramaic-speaking Jews. Or, since the Jerusalem church at this point numbered in the thousands and likely worshipped in home gatherings in three languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, the widow's needs taxed the distribution network beyond the capacity of the apostles to oversee it directly. So moving on with verse 2 and following. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenes, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These were set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Okay, so a side note here. They were in Jerusalem here, and that's a significant note that many of the priests became obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. Then some of those who belonged to the synagogue of the freedmen, as it was called, and of the Cyrenians and of the Alexandrians and those from Sicilia and Asia rose up and disputed with Stephen. Just a side note on the freedmen, my Bible notes say that the synagogue of the freedmen was composed of Jews freed from slavery, who in this case are from Cyrene and Alexandria, well-known cities of North Africa. Such a synagogue composed of Jews from the dispersion probably conduct its meetings in Greek. But they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Then they secretly instigated men who said, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him and seized him and brought him before the council. And they set up false witnesses who said, this man never ceases to speak words against this holy place and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth, 
will destroy this place and will change the customs that Moses delivered to us. And gazing at him, all who sat in the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. Okay, so now we're to chapter 7, where we have Stephen's speech. And the high priest said, Are these things so? And Stephen said, Brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred, and go into the land that I will show you. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession and to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others, who would enslave them and afflict them four hundred years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God, and after that they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the twelve patriarchs. And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt, but God was with him and rescued him out of all his afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. Now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction, and our fathers could find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And on the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob his father and all his kindred, seventy-five persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamer in Shechem. But as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in Egypt, until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt shrewdly with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so that they would be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in his words and deeds. When he was forty years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wrong, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand, for they did not understand. And on the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. Now when forty years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in a flame of fire in a bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and as he drew near to look, there came the voice of the Lord, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not, did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, 
Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning, and I have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses whom they rejected, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both a ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out, performing wonders and signs in Egypt and at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for forty years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give us. Our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside, and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make for us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hand. But God turned away and gave them over to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, Did you bring to me slain beasts and sacrifices during the forty years in the wilderness, O house of Israel? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your god Raphan, the image, images that you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers had the tent of witness in the wilderness, just as he who spoke to Moses directed him to make it according to the pattern that he had seen. Our fathers, in turn, brought it in with Joshua when they dispossessed the nations that God drove out before our fathers. So it was until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him. Yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. Heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Now when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. So a side note there is that the people laid their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And this is Saul, who later becomes the Apostle Paul. My note in my study Bible on that part says, um, Saul, later called by his Roman name, Paul, is a Pharisee and associated with the Sanhedrin. He may be a witness or participant in the Hellenist argument with Stephen and an instigator of Stephen's trial. Saul, whose sermons, along with those of Peter, will dominate this book, thus enters the narrative as an adamant, violent, 
opponent of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another side note here is that Stephen's prayer at the end here of Lord Jesus receive my spirit and the do not hold this sin against them is similar to Jesus' prayer that he prayed on the cross. Uh, My notes say as Jesus committed his spirit to his divine father in his death, so Stephen commits his spirit to his divine savior, the glorified son. And we can compare the statement of do not hold the sin against them of Jesus in Luke 23:34 and it says the following narrative will show Stephen's dying prayer answered in a remarkable way in the case of Saul. So, uh, that was Stephen's story and he is the first Christian martyr. So we see how Stephen's stoning and his prayer there probably impacted Paul in well, Saul at the time, but Paul later impacted him in some way. However, the Holy Spirit obviously is who did a mighty redeeming work in Saul to turn him from the violence and persecution of the church to embrace Jesus and become a Christian and then become an apostle and one of the greatest early missionaries to the Gentiles for the Christian church. So that's an amazing story in itself as well. So now switching to the next person we're going to look at. This is a lady, and she is only mentioned by the name of Runkin. And I don't know if that is a first name or a last name. It sounds more like a last name to me, but it doesn't really matter. Her story takes place in the 1500s. We don't even have an exact date for that. And the place, the location was in Ronesse's Flanders. And I had to look up where Flanders is. And... It is part of Belgium, and Wikipedia said that uh, the current present-day area of Flanders is now divided among three different countries. So Flanders, I guess, was, was or is a county in Belgium, and so the Ronesis part of it is probably the city. Now the county of Flanders is divided among France, Belgium, and the Netherlands just an interesting side note. So here is the story of Runkin told by the voice of the martyrs. I found one. The inquisitor held up the forbidden book as he called to his assistant. Bring in the mayor and his family. Someone is studying the Bible in this house. In the 16th century, Philip II sent the Duke of Alba to Flanders to stamp out the Protestants who insisted on reading the scriptures in their own language. Anyone found studying the Bible was hanged, drowned, torn in pieces, or burned alive at the stake. The inquisitors had found the Bible while inspecting the house of the mayor of Brugge. One by one, family members were questioned, but everyone claimed they knew nothing about how the Bible got to their house. Finally, the officials asked the young maidservant, Runkin, who boldly declared, I am reading it. The mayor, knowing the penalty for studying the Bible, tried to defend her, saying, Oh no, she only owns it. She doesn't ever read from it. But Runkin chose not to be defended by a lie. This book is mine. I am reading from it, and it is more precious to me than anything. She was sentenced to die by suffocation. A place would be hollowed in the city wall. She would be tied in it, and the opening would be bricked over. 
On the day of her execution, as she stood by the wall, an official tried to get her to change her mind, saying, so young and beautiful, and yet to die. Runkin replied, my savior died for me. I will also die for him. As the bricks were laid higher and higher, she was warned again, you will suffocate and die in here. I will be with Jesus, she answered. Finally, the wall was finished, except for the one brick that would cover her face. For the last time, the official tried to persuade her, repent, just say the word and you will go free. But Runkin refused, saying instead, O Lord, forgive my murderers. The brick was put in place. Many years later, her bones were removed from the wall and buried in the cemetery of Brugge. So Runkin trusted her life to Jesus, knowing that the end of her life on earth was not the end of her life. I like finding out stories of people who were not well known. She was just a maidservant in the house of a mayor in Belgium. And here she was being faithful to Jesus and the gospel. She could have gotten away with her Bible reading if she let the lie slide by that her, her master, I guess, told the officials, but she wouldn't let that slide. She had to have it known and stand up for what the truth really was. And now we will go to the last person that we're looking at today. It is a man from Pakistan in 1992. His name is Gul Masi. That is spelled G-U-L and then the last name M-A-S-I-H. And I found some online articles about his story since it was in more recent history. One of them was talking about being imprisoned over a glass of water. So literally, all he was doing was fixing a faucet, a community faucet for water. And one of his neighbors came and started talking to him. And they got into a heated dispute or argument over something where the conversation uh, turned towards, you know, like politics and religion type of thing. And his neighbor basically turned him in for blaspheming against Muhammad, the Islam prophet. That got him placed in jail. So we will read his story told by the Voice of the Martyrs. And actually, his story does not end in death. He was in jailed and tortured for quite a while and then he was released, but he had to flee to another country, I think probably assuming a different identity in order to be safe. One thing I read said that he um, went to one of the countries in Europe, so he very well could still be alive in Europe somewhere. This is his story. The judge looked at Saeed Hussein, who was the only witness against the Christian Gul Masih. The judge liked what he saw. Saeed was a young and fervent, college-educated, and with his full beard, he looked like a true Muslim. No one else had learned the conversation between the two neighbors. No one could confirm that Masi had defamed the Islamic prophet Muhammad. It was Saeed Hussein's word against Gul Masi's word. The judge looked at Gul Masi. Despite constant persecution, Gul Masi had chosen to be a Jesus freak. In fact, his name, Masi, means Messiah. Many Christians in Pakistan, especially those who convert to Christianity unashamedly, use this as a public source of identification with Jesus Christ. Pakistan's blasphemy laws are harsh. Every critical word about Muhammad or the Quran, their holy book, is considered blasphemy, and violators are sentenced to death. 
Twelve other Pakistani Christians have been accused in recent years under these laws. Five of them were acquitted by the courts, but then illegally murdered by the Muslim extremists. Many others are still being accused. The judge nodded toward Hussein and said, I have no reason to disbelieve this witness. Then he turned to Gul Masi. I sentence you to death by hanging. When the news of Gul Masi's situation was published, Christians from all over the world wrote to him in jail to encourage him that people knew of his situation, that they cared, and that they were praying for him. He responded to a Canadian woman. First of all, I am thankful to you that you have encouraged me. My Lord has come to me twice in my prison cell. One day I was sitting in my cell thinking about this injustice in a sad and hopeless mood. Suddenly the cell filled with light and my body trembled. I saw my Lord. Four days after this, my Jesus came again and overshadowed me by raising his hands and blessing me. From that day on, I have been happy and at peace. My Lord is with me in jail. He doesn't leave me alone. We are five members in our family. We have a great love for each other. I am very grateful to my Lord. He has filled all my needs in the best possible way. I am also thankful to you and my other brothers and sisters who have supported me. I hope that by the grace of God, we will see one another. Let us not forget the power of prayer. In addition to writing to Gul Masi, many others wrote to the Pakistani ambassador saying that they were aware of the unproven and unjust sentences of Gul Masi and two other Pakistani Christians. One Christian leader says the law is used as a weapon against the Christians in the country. Many blasphemy charges are lies from a jealous neighboring shopkeeper or farmer. These letters were used by God to help facilitate Gul Masi's release after almost three years in prison. In a miraculous turn of events, on November 29, 1994, the Lahore High Court of Pakistan cleared Gul Masi of all charges of violating the blasphemy law and removed him from the danger of certain death. Being released from death row does not exactly mean freedom for Gul Masi. His life remains threatened by Islamic fundamentalists who were outraged by the court's verdict. Within a month, the leader of the Muslim temple in Sargoda issued a fatwa, an order for Gul Masi's assassination. Wanted posters were placed throughout the city of Sargoda, pleading for his execution. Death threats were called out on the loudspeaker from the tower of the local mosque. Gul Masi remains fearful for his life and is in hiding despite his release from prison. So basically, he did have to lose his life from his home country and probably from his family by standing up for Christ. It was just that he was released from death by the the courts, but his life is still being threatened by the Islamic fundamentalists. So he's not safe, although I hope that he was able to flee to another country and start over in a new life, a new way. But that just shows how different countries and people are still huge threats to Christianity. And persecutions and imprisonments are still taking place. And I say those things are threats to Christianity. However, it's not actually to Christianity. It would be to the people themselves who are standing up and uh, proclaiming that they're Christians. The gates of hell will not overtake the church. So, you know, Christianity in the church is not being moved, not shaken, not going anywhere. (laughs) So I just wanted to make that clear.
So I'd like to end in a prayer. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you suffered and died for me, for those of us who are your children on the cross to pay for our sins. And Father, I thank you that you raised Jesus from the dead to be our living Lord and Savior. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that you will lead us to do the right thing and to be a light in the world. Help us to not be ashamed of your name or your gospel and help us to do what we can for those who are persecuted and to pray for them. And help us to look our enemies in the eyes and love them with your love. Help us to pray for them and love them, no matter what the consequences. We thank you for showing us how you gathered Stephen to yourself and gave him that comfort in his death of seeing you standing at the right hand of the Father. And we thank you for what his witness did, stirring the hearts of those who were watching, maybe even participating of Saul being turned to Paul later on, and through the early disciples laying the foundation of the church in Jerusalem, how some of the priests were coming to believe in you and how the church was growing. We thank you for the life of Runken, who was just a maid in a mayor's home in Belgium, and nobody knew her or knows much about her at all except what was in this book or put out by the Voice of the Martyrs, and Thank you for her witness and her faithfulness to you. And I pray that that was impactful to someone who witnessed that. And I thank you for her boldness and her willing to stand firm and not be ashamed of you and your word. And we pray for Gul Masi. We thank you that he was released from prison and persecution and pray that he is, you know, if he's still alive, that he is living a life that glorifies you and thank you for his witness also uh, that maybe his story impacted someone and we pray for the release of others that are being held on false charges and we pray that you will protect them and give them provision while they are in prison and as they're being released from prison as well just protect them from the folks who would like to see them killed or assassinated So help us to stand with you and with our brothers and sisters around the world. In the end, we know that we will be victorious and we will inherit eternity and heaven with you. We love you and ask all of this in your precious name. Amen. Thanks for listening. In Awe and Wonder is part of the Christian Podcast community. You can find that at podcast.strivingforeternity.org slash shows. They have tons of podcasts on lots of different topics. So whether you're wanting to listen to sound theology, apologetics, podcasts for women, or even the how-tos of podcasting, the Christian podcast community has something for everyone. So check them out. If you want to connect with me, my blog is www.kristen-hamilton.com, or you can shoot me an email at in awe wonder podcast that's all one word in awe wonder podcast at gmail.com keep reading your bible and look for god's attributes what verses cause you to confess any sins and ways that you can praise god for who he is and what he's done 